Welcome, everybody, to the Junction City Podcast. Uh, I am your temporary host, Colby Peterson, and with me today uh, on the show is candidate for Congressional District 1 here in Utah, Darren Perry. Uh, Darren Perry is one of two Democrats vying for the Democratic nomination for the district, and uh, he was kind enough to sit down with us and chat a little bit about his life, his experience, uh, what drew him to the race, and then also what are some of the issues that he's seeing. So, Darren, uh, welcome to the Junction City Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure, Colby. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we really we really appreciate it. It's important that we get our message out. You can only make an informed decision if you have the message. So, Yes, sir. Um, great. So, uh, you know, I, I was, as we during the month of March, we were so very busy, busy, busy trying to cover the legislative session. We were doing weekly updates with Alliance for a Better Utah, if you know them. Uh, we had we had Katie Matheson on every week. And so, you know, as, as people began to file for the offices and everything, it was sort of back of mind for us as we were trying to cover this. And then COVID-19 happened and uh, it really ground a lot of things that we had in the in the hopper down to a halt. It did. I spent a lot of time with the legislature myself. So yeah, you know, we had a, we had a whole wrap up. We were going to do a crossover episode with uh, the Black Site podcast, and uh, I was supposed to be on St. Patrick's Day, and that did not happen. And I am very sad because we were we were excited, but life in the time of COVID is interesting. Absolutely. So, uh, Darren, I, I I wondered if you would uh, talk a little bit about you know your uh, help the help the JC peeps understand who you are and kind of you okay. know where you okay. where you're coming from and help them like I said understand who what who you are and what what makes up Darren Perry. Thank you. Uh, I just tell you, I was born and raised in uh, Davis County. I uh, grew up in Syracuse. I went to Clearville High School. My dad always worked for state government. He was the director of Indian Affairs for the state of Utah. Okay. So um, state government being involved in that kind of world. And he actually served under Scott Matheson, uh, one of our good Democrat governors. That's right. The last so, one. Uh, he, he always joked that we were one of the two Democrats in Davis County, families in Davis County. So <laughs> uh, I, I wear that badge proudly. So dating back to 1965 so but you know i got older i attended the university of utah graduated from weaver state university oh um, yeah go wildcats <laughs> and so actually the the president just put me on the national advisory council yeah i saw that i was going to say con- congratulations meeting which that's a who's who of people that have made it in this life and I thought, I wonder why he asked me to be on this thing, because I, I, I didn't feel like I'm the quality of that that group that was there. It was amazing to be with those people. But So I grew up, and I always wanted to go into education, and I really never did. Started having children, and it just took me down a different path. The last few years, quite a few years, I've served as either the vice chairman or the chairman of the Shoshone Nation. Okay. Now. That's what's molded me into who I am today. Uh, what my goals for the future are is directly impacted because of those experiences. So now as a tribal leader, I'm meeting with other tribal leaders all the time. Now, these are tribal leaders from rural Utah, as rural as you can get. There's eight tribes in Utah, and they're absolutely all at the worst possible places you could be almost as far as 
not having uh, services to, to help. And so you go to Blanding, you go to the Ute Reservation, you start going out on the West Desert to the Goshutes, and you start seeing poverty, drug abuse, alcoholism, all of those things at a different level that you don't see here on the Wasatch Front. And so, and then meeting with state officials. I have a wonderful relationship with the Republican Party here in the state because I have to meet with them all the time. Mm. As a tribal leader, you are meeting with uh, the different agencies who are controlled by Governor Herbert and his administration. So what being a tribal leader allowed me to do, though, was navigate those waters. So meeting with state officials, local county officials, uh, met with congressmen, senators on the national level all the time. And, and in Indian country, when you meet in that respect, it's not always a friendly, they're not on your side. And so what that taught me that uh, will allow me to really succeed on the next level is it taught me to build bridges of understanding between two groups that really don't understand each other. Hmm. Uh, you know, the great American problem was how are we going to assimilate the Native Americans and how do we fix them? And how do we actually even, you know, take the Indian out of them, which the boarding school system tried to do. My grandmother was a product of the boarding school system. And so, um, you know, America's past was as a, as it relates to native Americans has been horrific. Yes. So, but having said that uh, as a tribal leader, I've been able to navigate those waters I've been able to build bridges of understanding between the states and counties and locals who don't have our best interest in mind, but allowed us to have a seat at the table and, and actually a good seat. And just for instance, this past year at the legislature, the Senate uh, honored me and uh, gave me an award on the Senate floor and allowed me uh, five minutes to say whatever I wanted. And so, and the house uh, had me give up opening prayer one day. So I've been invited to do those things. And I actually gave it in Shoshone with my headdress on, on the house floor. So um, working with those different groups, building bridges of understanding, especially between two groups that really don't have a lot in common. Uh, it's given me a perspective for the marginalized and not only people of color, and I, I consider us one of those, but the LGBTQ communities, any community that uh, has been marginalized by society, and there are a number of them. And so uh, I've become an advocate for that group because my group, the Shoshone people, are one of them. And it's given me empathy for what they go through. It's shown me how the system has left them behind. And especially as it relates to COVID-19, any wonder that that the Black communities and our Hispanic communities and the Navajo communities, the Native American communities, they suffer from this at a much greater level and they're dying from it at a much higher percentage rate because of the systemic way that they've been dealt with for centuries. And so, you know, 
a few months ago, someone said you should really run for Congress, and I, uh, I'd never thought about that, honestly. Hmm. Uh, and it's about eight months ago, and and I said, well, that's funny. I've never done politics, but uh, over <laughs> the year. Uh, and they go, are you kidding? That's all you do. That's all you do when you meet with state officials. You're you're right in the thick of it, and they actually like you, and you get things done. But I think I get things done because I'm willing to listen. I don't have all the answers, but I feel like everyone has a voice. And and that's my big mantra, I guess you could say, is I, I thrive at bringing groups together that don't have much in common and, and building a consensus on how we can fix things. And so fast forward to today and a few months ago, I thought, you know what, I'm sick of the hate speech in America today. I'm sick of the partisanism. I'm sick of the d- divisive nature that we sit in today. And, and I really think I can make a difference. Um, I, I can make a difference. I can bring groups that are different from me and, and say, let's sit down. We don't always have to agree, but I think there's enough commonality there that uh, if we both want something uh, for the good of the American people, I think we can get there. We might not all get everything you want, but until we sit down as a country and stop the partisanship and, and actually work together to get things done, we're going to struggle. And I think that's my strength, being able to work together with somebody with a different opinion, because as a tribal leader, I've had to do that. And so that's gotten me here. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, uh, so you probably know that um, a few weeks ago, Representative Ben McAdams was hospitalized up at the University of Utah with COVID-19. And uh, it was interesting to see um, folks who were pretty ronkerous in uh, in political discourse, um, you know, they, they would send well wishes to the representative and, and vice versa, you know, when 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 Bob Garf passed away recently from also from COVID-19, there were a lot of folks on the Democratic side who, you know, expressed sympathy to Representative Ballard because uh, Bob Garf was his yeah. was her father. And uh, it was just sort of, I, I, I see what you're saying, where, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of a shock to get people to remember that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're all Americans and uh, we're trying to do the best that we can. And um, it was it was nice to see that happen. Um, and, you know, see the, the well wishes flow to both sides of the aisle and realize that that, that bridge is there, even if maybe it's in a little bit of disrepair. <laughs> uh, I think, the, you know, Colby, I think the problem is, and I have this theory um, with the media today, we have two, two different sides of the equation here. One is, you know, the left and one is the far right. And both groups are very loud. And sometimes that's what we tend to hear. But I think uh, there are people like you and I and people on the call and people that will listen that are somewhere in the middle. I think there's a big group of people in the middle that are tired of the way we're doing things in Washington, D.C. We're tired of the divisiveness and hate speech. And so, uh, you know, I always have this quote when I'm talking and um, I, I say I can't change history. But I don't want to change history, but I can change the future. And and then I say some of the greatest crimes in the history of our country are not caused by hatred, but by indifference. 
And I think it's now time for good people to stand up and make a difference. I think there's a lot of people that have been on the sidelines for a while that have just kind of let it go, let it go. And now I think people are at the point that, no, we're not letting it go. And we need to stand up and, and say something and make a difference. And so that's the other reason I'm running. Plus, I've got grandkids. What kind of world are we leaving our grandkids with the environment, with climate change, with our public lands, with health care, with all those other things? The debt is, uh, you know, we've talked about that for five years now with the stimuluses that are going out there, and rightfully so. But uh, there's going to come a day that somebody's going to have to pay the piper on that. And so it's going to take common sense people that make good decisions down the road that get a handle on all those things. So our kids and our grandkids have a future. Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about lately, especially where there has been quite a bit of stimulus is, and, you know, luckily I've been, you know, my wife and I lost our jobs a few weeks ago. And uh, one thing I've been thinking about is, you know, I wonder if there's ever going to be another Bretton Woods where we just say, all right, we're calling everything clear here. We're going to start from zero. Again. <laughs> Everybody's kind of in the same boat right now where it's like, gosh, what do we do? You know, you don't know. It's, it's, we're living in a, it's a scary time because we just don't know, you know, it's like if we knew through a month from now, everything would get back to normal as we knew it. But none of us have that answer. None of us really know. Yeah, it's difficult. And I think that you're right where, um, you know, one thing that I found that has been maybe a mantra that has the ability to unite a lot of folks toward one particular movement or message is, you know, helping doing what's best for the base, you know, and when I say the base, I mean, you know, the, the majority of the country, the working class folks, um, you know, I really enjoy, uh, if you listen to the show a few times, you know, that, you know, we try and attend Northern Utah Labor Council meetings regularly. We try to go to those things because, you know, I truly believe that it's the working people in this, in this country that, you know, they're the ones that make it work and go. And that, you know, when you start talking about solutions for them, um, partisanship, you know, has a way of melting back a little bit. And, sure. you know, you're, we're talking about, you know, what, what some folks call kitchen table issues where we're, we're talking about good jobs, health care, yeah. uh, the way that, you know, the children are educated, those kinds of things. They really seem to be a way to bring together folks who have different beliefs, you know, when it comes to social issues. Sure. Uh, we, we, we can find those as a way to build the bridge the way you've said. And, uh, and that's that's where I feel like, you know, I thought about this the other day. I thought if we're going to change America and we're going to change the the way we do business going forward, we need a seat at the table. And a Democrat hasn't been elected in this district in 39 years. Since Glenn McKay, yeah. 39 years. And so if we want a seat at the table, we have to be there. We have to elect somebody that can get elected that can sit down and start making the decisions. And I'm telling you right now, I feel more strongly than I've ever felt strong about anything is I'm the person that can get elected in the general election come November. So I may not be Democrat enough sometimes. I think I am. I absolutely think I am. But uh, I hope your listeners and others will say, you know, you can be wherever you want to be on certain platforms, but unless you have a seat at the table, unless you're there, you really can't affect much change. And And I am committed to everyone having a voice 
and especially the middle class. That's my dad was a school teacher before he went to work for state government. We were never rich. Yeah, you don't get rich working in state government. Uh, no, my family, my favorite meal was spam on toast. I mean, and it still is today because that's, and I didn't know we didn't have a lot of money. It's just, you know, those are memories from my childhood. But uh, yeah, I'm for the working class, the middle class. And I think in this great economy, you know, uh, we're left behind. And, and I have two daughters that are both single moms. They one they both have one child, and you know they they don't make that much, but they can't afford affordable housing. They can't afford. My daughter came over to say, "Help me fill out my health care thing." And the best plan we could find was a huge high deductible plan, yeah. and she's still going to pay almost four hundred dollars out of her check a month to get this high deductible plan. Are you kidding? Yeah. Uh, we've got to do better. We have to be. do better. There's got to be a better way, right? And yeah. we know that And we know that there is. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm an advocate for, you know, Medicare for all. You know, you look at the uh, sure. the the economics of it, and it seems to make sense to me. And I also am a, I'm a person who, you know, believes strongly in small business. You know, we just did an interview uh, last night with Sadie Smith. She's the owner of Grounds for Coffee on 25th Street. We got her been there many times. Yep. We got her experience of applying for the Paycheck Protection Program and kind of how that went. And if you follow the news, you know that, you know, a lot of small business owners feel like they got left out in the cold because there were some very large entities that got millions of dollars. And, you know, for the folks at the bottom who, you know, really are the ones that are the heart and souls of our community, they didn't get anything, you know, and for them, you know, uh, $50,000, $100,000 is, is the difference between, you know, continuing to pay their their employees and keep them afloat for a couple of months until we can get the doors back open and have a, a sound solution to COVID-19 and, you know, closing altogether and creating a, a void in our communities. And so, you know, I, uh, I, I oh, think I'm, I'm with you. I think we could take an opportunity here then to transition a little bit. A uh, question I have for you is, you know, part of a campaign is you go out and you talk to a lot of people. And right now, talking to a lot of people means talking to state delegates. Um, as many of, as the JC peeps know, we mentioned this in the last episode, uh, the state convention is this weekend. And so you'll be doing a, we'll be doing a virtual state convention this time around. We're supposed to be up in your neck of the woods, up in Logan, but yeah. oh. th- that obviously can't happen. But so, so Darren, um, with the, with the, with that convention coming up this weekend and talking to the state delegates and getting an idea, what are some of the issues that you're hearing from the state delegates or maybe some other constituents that you're talking to? What are some of the biggest issues that are popping up that you know are really at the top of folks' minds? Well, it, it's kind of changed and, and changed for the be- the better. I live here 10 minutes away from Utah State University. Mm-hmm. I am raising money right now for my job to build a beautiful interpretive center at the Bear River Massacre site. Okay. So I've been working with the college and, and working with grad students that are developing plans on how to return the, the land back to what it looked like in 1863. And now we're dealing with climate change, though, and, and some of those plants aren't going to make it. And so, you know, when I started my campaign months ago, climate change was such a huge priority. Uh, the environment public lands, making sure all of those things are a priority. And they are. They're still my priority. But now I'm talking to people every day 
that have lost their job. Mm-hmm. They've lost the ability to get health care. And, and there's families that are hurting. And, and so I see a president that comes up with a $2 trillion stimulus package and now another, you know, half a trillion to be added on. And I look at this and I'm going, what's lost out in all of this is help to the individual families and help to small business. A stimulus check of 1200 or 1700 are you kidding me? How long have we been in this pandemic and how long are people struggling? And that is supposed to help my family. Yeah, give me $1,200 every two weeks. And maybe, <laughs> maybe, but maybe I can get by then. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's a stretch, right? $1,200, yeah. you know, every couple of weeks ain't a lot of money still. No, it's not. But it gives me a little bit of a chance to pay a bill or two. But, you know, I've looked at the, the stimulus package and large corporations, the bailouts, the making sure that those large businesses are taken care of. And, and maybe you can make a case for, well, if we don't, you know, there's something worse. But there's nothing worse than turning your back on the middle class and the, and the lower class people. To me, there's nothing worse. It's all about people. And it always has been. And, and I laugh at my Republican friends who say, you know, you're a socialist. And, and I'm, I, I, I go, you know what? Absolutely, you're right. Because if you look up the definition of socialism, it's the community takes care of one another. You know, that's what we do. And, and I'm a tribal leader. I'm the leader of the Shoshone Nation. That's how we've lived for thousands of years. No poor. We took care of each other. We had no concept of personal property. And so that's how my people have lived. And so to be called that in today's world. And now I say, well, you know, we're living in socialism today. The government is bailing you out and you're the first one in line to ask for it. And so those those people that really, I don't know, the majority of the bailout should have gone to the American people. To make sure we're yeah. taken care of, make sure we have access to health care and uh, expand Medicaid to the point that if, if you don't have coverage for you and your family at this difficult time, you absolutely have coverage. And so uh, I just think it's going to take some leadership and, and the ability to work together to make that happen. It's, it's not that we re- have to reinvent the wheel here. It's already been invented. We have to reinvent how we look at things and change our perceptions. And so as a, as a congressman, I will work hard every day to do that. So, Darren, I, I, I like what you're saying there because I was I was doing I spent a lot of time on Twitter. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Chris Stewart is a person who um, Chris Stewart uh, a few weeks or a few months ago famously, you know, was trying to found a, uh, like an anti-socialism caucus within the Congress. And, you know, he was railing and railing against, you know, government um, investing in the American people to try and, you know, make their lot better. And uh, today I see him on Twitter trying to, you know, bash Democrats for standing in the way of the exact things that he said he was against only months before. And, uh, ironic, isn't it? It's it's frustrating <laughs> because you know, like we talked about earlier, just you know, there's a there's a partisanship, and at the end of the day, you know, we we 
we should be, it's public service. You should be out there working for folks, not the donors working for the folks. And, uh, it just, I just, I can't believe what he has to say when he goes out and says those things, because it's like, no man, you were, you were against the the very kinds of programs that we're talking about today, only months before. Yeah. yeah. Just massively frustrating. How things change. And so, I don't know. So can you, um, you're, you, you said you're from, uh, up North, right? Uh, Northern Utah, right? I live here now. I grew up in, uh, Davis County and Weber County. <coughs> married life. We lived in Weber County and far west. So, okay. Yeah. So you, you kind of, you have spanned pretty much, um, oh, yeah. I mean, other than I think East of the district, right? I think that's probably the only place maybe that maybe you can't speak to. Well, I can speak to it because as a tribal leader, I have to go out and meet with the Ute Nation all the time. And so uh, that's a trip that my car could drive to tomorrow if I wanted to shut my eyes and go. And so uh, I, I, can you I just want to hear a little bit about like um, how is it working with uh, you've worked with people in Davis and Weber County. What about those those folks that are out in the rural side of, of CD1? Like because uh, okay. a lot of that. I mean, a lot of that is pretty Republican, pretty red. Um, what do you see out there? And like, what's what's working with them like? Uh, I, you know what? I think historically they are. But we're. I just got the uh, endorsement of the Rural Caucus. Saw that. Yep. And so that's, that's America to me. Uh, our tribal office is in Brigham City. Now it's not, you know, it's not downtown Salt Lake, and it's not real rural America. It's kind of somewhere in between. And and as I drive out to the Ute Reservation, or if I drive out to fish at Flaming Gorge, I'm going through these rural communities the whole time. And and I spend a lot of time in the outdoors. And so, to me, that's that's absolutely American pie. When you pull up to a local gas station and, you know, everybody knows each other. I I don't think, I absolutely believe we've left rural America behind. Uh, and it all stems with, you know, they don't have high-speed internet. They don't have any internet at all. Well, having the internet would solve a lot of problems in rural America. It had, saw, it had closed the education gap. It'll allow them more access to education. It will actually allow them more access to healthcare because I think in the future, I think telehealth, being Hmm. able to see a doctor if you have an internet connection, I think that is huge. And, And so rural America is not connected at all. And so as a congressman, I'd work really hard to make sure that those counties and those rural communities know that I would be an advocate for getting them the infrastructure that they need to, you know, they may have a hospital, a regional hospital, but it might have two, you know, beds. And so, uh, so like, um, Brigham city, uh, has utopia, right? Like that's a, uh, yes. Yeah. So it would be something kind of similar to that. You'd be pushing for maybe some of these rural, rural, uh, areas to have some kind of high speed internet like the like a utopia uh not necessarily like comcast only and uh what do they have like um quest i think or something right what is it yeah yeah i'm not sure i don't live there but yeah 
I, my parents are from Tremont. I grew up in Tremont, and so oh, did you? yeah, yeah, I've, I, I'm I'm familiar with the small town atmosphere. <laughs> well, my dad grew up in Washakie, an old Indian community just north of Tremont, so spent a lot of time out in that area. And that community is not there anymore. So I was just gonna say, I north of Tremont, uh, like Malad area, I guess. No, actually, just you know where the Newcore Steel Plant is. That old Indian community was about two miles north, so it was just south of Portage. And uh, oh, <laughs> the the Shoshones <laughs> lived there from 1878 to 1960. A huge community of Shoshones. It wasn't a federal reservation, but it it, it acted as one. Yeah, that's so, just where people had, had landed, yeah. But my dad was born and raised there, so we have a lot of family and stuff that's still in the area. So, But we got an, you know, solving that problem alone would solve a lot of issues with rural America and give them access to a doctor in the middle of the night and, and give them access to educational opportunities uh, I in the fall I taught Native American history at Utah State, and I didn't teach it this spring, and I'm so glad I didn't because halfway through the semester they went all online, which is not a strength. And so, but uh, what that taught, I think that what that's going to teach us in the future is we can maybe get a college degree. Uh, all online, even from these major universities now, a lot cheaper than we could before. And it's going to give access to higher education to people that have never had access to higher education. And in rural America, out in Grouse Creek, (laughs) being able to get an online four-year degree uh, would be huge. Uh, We have a lot of poverty in rural America. And so I would fight hard every day to make sure that uh, we get them the tools that they need to succeed. And so, yeah, I'm so glad to hear you say that, Darren, because I feel like that's been kind of my hobby horse lately. You know, I asked a lot of questions about it during the municipal campaigns. Uh, Most recently, I was on a call with Chris Peterson, who's running as a Democrat for governor. And this is my first question to him was like, what do you what do you do as, you know, a statewide, you know, leader to help with Internet infrastructure? Because I'm with you. I truly believe that, you know, the Internet is a great equalizer that, you know, businesses can be started solely on the Internet. You know, I'm working on you know projects like that right now. And that, like you said, you can see a doctor via the Internet. And, you know, my question is always like, how do we extend the silicon slopes to places like Blanding? Because there's a USU extension out there and there are folks who are getting, you know, degrees and could fill jobs and work remotely and inject. You know, the way I always explain it to people is. If you have a job and somebody pays you to do that job, but you still live in this community, it's an injection of value into that community. Now you can go around and you can spend money in your community, whether that's at the bakery, whether that's at the local grocery store, local restaurants, and an entire community can survive because of an injection of value, right? That's why mining communities work because you had a lot of people working, they were getting paid, and then they spent money in the community, right? That's how it works. And so if we can use the internet, to bring that kind of thing here. Like, so you got your computer science degree at the University of uh, at Utah State, and now you work for Adobe, but you live in Blanding still. But you live in Blanding, yeah. Yeah, like that can save so many of those communities. And you don't need to build an interstate. You don't need to build, you know, whatever out there. You just need internet infrastructure, and it changes the game for the state. It, it does. 
I was on a last um, summer. I spoke at uh, the Sun Valley Institute. It's a climate change group of people that, that talk about that. It was a one week conference in Sun Valley, Idaho. I sat on a paddle with uh, the commissioner of, of public lands from Washington State, the mayor of Moab. Awesome lady. Mm -hmm. And then I had a guy on there. He was the president of the University of Pikesville, Kentucky, rural, out in the boonies. He, the whole community was employed at the coal mines. Mm -hmm. Well, he decided, you know, they decided five years ago, coal wasn't the future. Mm -hmm. Now this whole community that the whole community worked at the coal mine have now graduated into tech jobs. And almost all from home because they have the internet. That's how we get away from the fossil fuel industries. And and look, I'm a, a Native American that I'm going to have to go out and tell the Native Utes on the Ute Reservation who rely on coal mm -hmm. and gas and oil. Oh yeah. That that hey, we've got to replace it with something that's sustainable for them instead of just killing them. And so. Uh, yeah, but there's a community in Kentucky that has done it. There's a roadmap forward. And so I'm excited to be able to share that, share my vision with a normal person. I know I can get a lot of Republicans to vote for me, and I'm going to have to if I'm going to win in November. And, and I feel like I can do that. Uh, there's a trust level that I built over time living in CD1 that will allow people to even my Republican staunch friends plug their nose and vote for me. <laughs> you know, I say that funny, but uh, they know what kind of person they're getting when they vote for me. Uh, they know I'm someone of integrity. I'll always do the right thing. And I will always invite everyone to the table to see how we can make a difference. And that's who I am. Well, that's great, Darren. Thanks so much. Uh, you know, the final question for you is just uh, just kind of wrap up. Uh, how do folks get involved? Where can they learn more? How do they donate? How do they volunteer? All of that good stuff. Well, I've got a website. It's Darren for Utah. It's D-A-R-R-E-N-F-O-R-Utah.com. Um, you can go on there. You can donate on there. You can see my platform, kind of some of the things I really want to accomplish and I'm interested in. Uh, Man, you could call me at 801-510-4560. I keep throwing that out there, and I've had two people call me. Uh, yeah. I, going, what the heck? <laughs> call me. No, I think that, uh, you know, my kids, they kind of freak out a little bit when I call them because they're like, why are you calling me? What? <laughs> Yeah, like is this serious? <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, you can tell it's kind of a generational thing. People don't use phones for calling anymore, Darren. Well, uh, maybe <laughs> I ought to say, text me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> text me. <laughs> well, you guys have been awesome, and and I'm excited to what the future might hold. I hope the delegates will just see it in the, you know, to make a change, you need a seat at the table, and I really feel like come November. Uh, I can win. And and we haven't been able to say that as a Democratic Party for 40 years in this district. And and I'm the I'm the person that can win. And I'd love your vote. So 
Well, thanks, Darren, very much, like I said, for coming on and talking a bit about your background and uh, what drew you to the campaign and some of the issues that are popping up most when you talk to constituents. Um, like we said, we will include uh, your website, which was DarrenForUtah.com. Is that right? Yes. Yep. We'll include that in the show notes. And um, and if you are a state delegate and you plan on um, uh, attending the virtual convention this weekend of the state Democratic Party uh, and you live in Congressional District 1, you'll have a choice before you. Uh, and so Darren will be one of those choices. So you'll get a chance to speak your mind there. So, uh, until next time, JC peace, really, uh, appreciate you. And like we say every week, all politics is local. Yeah. Good, you got it. Awesome.